Welcome to the My Buddy Green podcast. I'm Jason Wachab, founder and co-CEO of My Buddy Green, and your host. If you're a regular listener, you know I am obsessed with coffee. My love affair with coffee started over 25 years ago. I drink it daily, I drink it early, and I drink it often. On a typical day, I'll have around five to six cups. Now, if I'm going to drink so much of something, I want to feel confident that it's good for my health. So you can imagine how freaked out I was when I found out that many coffee beans actually contain mold and microscopic toxins. Mold can form on coffee beans when they are grown, stored, or transferred in a moist, warm environment, and the supply chain of coffee makes it particularly susceptible to mold and the toxic chemicals called mycotoxins. According to some analysis, up to 50% of beans tested positive for mycotoxins, which can cause serious liver and kidney issues in high doses. Mycotoxins are almost impossible to see or taste, unlike the mold you might see from water damage in your house. And the effect that mycotoxin exposure has on humans isn't entirely clear, and there's a level of uncertainty that I, as a coffee lover, am just not comfortable with. I believe in compromise, but not when it comes to what I'm putting into my body. When I drink something so often, I want to know that I'm giving myself all the best possible benefits and not ingesting anything that is going to potentially negate all the other good stuff I'm doing. And once I learned about all the bad stuff like mold, mycotoxins, and other contaminants in coffee, I knew it was time to work on a better product. And I started asking myself the following questions. Would it be possible to source a USDA certified organic coffee that was high in polyphenols and had no mold, mycotoxins, pesticides? pesticides, and heavy metals? And would we be able to test for all of the above? Could we find a coffee that meets all of our aforementioned standards and actually tastes great? No one wants to drink healthy coffee that tastes like crap. We want it to taste good. It took over a year, but we found a solution that delivers in full. Clean Coffee Plus. Our brand new coffee is handled in a way that reduces the risk of fungal growth and is rigorously tested for mold and mycotoxins, along with other nasties like pesticides and heavy metals. The testing that we do gives me confidence that the product I am drinking multiple times a day has nothing to hide. We test for an exhaustive battery of contaminants, four heavy metals, 10 microbial tests, 21 mycotoxins, 300 plus pesticides, and 20 solvents. I absolutely love our new Clean Coffee Plus, and I know you will too. So go to shop.mindbuddygreen.com backslash coffee20 to get 20% off your first order. You are going to love this coffee, and I really hope you try it. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's no secret we're facing a global mental health crisis. It won't be solved overnight, but research shows lifestyle factors can have a significant impact on our mental well-being. Yet the general medical community still ignores one of the most powerful pillars for mental health, nutrition. Dr. Uma Naidu is here to tell us just how important the food-mood connection can be. 
She's a Harvard-trained nutritional psychiatrist, nutritional biologist, and professional chef. And her latest book, Calm Your Mind with Food, is like a field guide to anti-anxiety eating. It is a must-buy and think shopping wrecks, expert-approved recipes, and meal plans to optimize your gut-brain connection. It's an honor to have her back on the show, and I suggest you get your grocery lists ready. So it's December 26th. Everyone is completely over the holidays. The sweets, the alcohol, the awkward uncle, and we are all ready to move on to 2024 and jumpstart our health and well-being routine. And so with that said, it's breakfast. I have to eat breakfast. I'm listening to this podcast in the morning. What is a nutritional psychiatry breakfast of champions look like? Let's start there. What should I eat right now? <laughs> so there are a few choices, Jason. And you'll start with one of my favorites and easiest, which you've heard before, which is a chia pudding rich in protein and fiber. But you can add in hemp milk or you can add the nut milk of your choice, chop with some blueberries and some nuts or seeds. And that's a really power-packed breakfast that you can make ahead. If you consume eggs, pastured eggs with lots of veggies in them as an omelet or a, however you like it prepared, but load in those veggies, maybe even add some herbs and spices for the added boost. I also like uh, to make frittatas ahead in a cupcake pan and make them as many frittatas and freeze them so you can pop four out if, you're, if you have a family of four um, and you know heat them or allow them to thaw overnight. And that's a really quick and easy, nutritious breakfast right there. If you need more than one, that's fine too, because you may be a little bit more hungry. But one of my favorites is also using tofu to make a scramble and adding in those veggies. So just like you would scramble egg, I take a block of tofu, I blitz a little bit in the food processor, have little chunks, and then stir fry that with onions and peppers and spinach and lots of spices, um, all of my favorites. And that way you, you're getting a nutritious breakfast right when you're starting the day. Always hydrate with water. Uh, you know I love coffee and I, I understand you, you have made coffee now, Jason. I'm so excited to try it. Oh, we're gonna send you some. Ping me your address after. We have to send you some. It just arrived. It just arrived. So thank you. Oh, amazing. Good. Good. But I was excited to see that because it's one of my favorite beverages. But then also hydrate with water because when you get up in the morning, you're sort of dehydrated from the night before. And especially if you wake up with anxiety, it's super important to hydrate and make sure that you stay well hydrated throughout the day. So these, these are some ways to get started. So you've got some great options. You've got options for those who consume eggs, for those who don't consume eggs. Uh, I'm curious, what makes all these options good? Is it the macros? That is there a specific combination of you know protein, carbs, sugar, and fat, or is it is it something else? Like what makes these options so good? I think that's a great question. And by the way, I also have a new recipe in um, in calm your mind with food for a chickpea omelet made from chickpea flour. So it's just an additional plant-based protein, or for anyone who just has a has a flexible diet, it's nutritious and nutrient dense for the brain because of the macros, the micros, the combination of ingredients. So if we take a step back and think about just a nutritional psychiatry plate, I want people to be plant-forward, irrespective of what your choice of proteins are. 
Um, so these all are high in protein or good, good sources of protein. They have fiber in them. By adding vegetables, we're adding all those plant polyphenols with a kaleidoscope of colors that make them more nutritious because of the number of um, not only antioxidants, but anti-inflammatory nutrients that they have. You're adding biodiversity to your gut. The spices and herbs are adding anti-inflammatory and antioxidant properties plus flavor. You want something to be taste delicious. So I would say that when we are having a plant food diet with a clean protein, some healthy fats, a piece of avocado on the side with your omelet or, or, or whatever your choice of breakfast is, or that you've used a little bit of avocado oil, those those are your healthy fats covered. And then, you know, you could have, if you if you consume toast, you can have a, a small piece of toast on the side, side as your grain. But remember, you're getting some carbohydrates from the vegetables that you are using in that. So I think that that's a balance from those perspectives. But it's also how I want people to think about their nutritional psychiatry calming plate. So you mentioned grains. If, if you had to pick a, a grain to consume, is it sourdough? Is it rye? Is it none of the above? One of my favorites, if I do eat bread, I, I try to get sourdough. And I say that because sourdough has a fermentation process by which it's made. And naturally, that fermentation process lowers the sugar. I also, uh, Jason, will make the effort to get an artisanal loaf if I'm going to eat it because it's you know baked fresh. So it lowers the chance of the number of preservatives. If you don't consume bread, there are sprouted options. Um, I, I've seen some fascinating recipes for making a wrap that is gluten-free and grain-free from all sorts of ingredients. One was made from quinoa. Um, another was made from a different grain that was gluten-free. So there, there are options out there if you want to start to substitute certain foods in your diet. I just think we need to be flexible and honor kind of what our body is saying, right? So the body intelligent part of nutritional psychiatry, if gluten doesn't agree with you, then it's not for you. If it's worse than anxiety, you need to, you know, you need to check whether you need to kind of eliminate it for a little while and see what's going on. Yeah, it's a very good point. Listen to your body. And, and sometimes my body just screams for great organic sourdough with some grass-fed ghee and a little bit of pink Himalayan salt. And I just love it. And it's super delicious. And I love it with the piece of avocado. You know, if I can get it, um, get, a, get a really nice toasted piece. I love it. I like love it with avocado and a drizzle of like microgreens, maybe a little bit of olive oil. So it's, it's, it's a great option. So in the book, you have great recipes and you go into great detail on food. But, but for those who are in a rush right now, one, pick up the book. I encourage everyone to buy the book, Calm Your Mind with Food. But like, if you were to just like think of a handful of items that should be on anyone's grocery list if they're looking to put together a brief list, what, what are some of those items in your opinion? Sure. So I have a whole shopping list in the book, but I've pulled some of the foods from there so that people have a quick mnemonic uh, to remember things when they're in the supermarket. And I call it CALMS. Um, so each one has a few different things. Don't, if you don't remember all, that's okay. We, we just want you to try to hit some high points here. Remember, when you're shopping in the supermarket, we want you to think about loading up with those colorful veggies, some berries, then get all of your proteins, your, you know, your, your, the things that you enjoy eating. In the center aisles, offer you beans, legumes, um, canned, uh, canned salmon, 
um, canned mussels, canned oysters, rich sources of omega threes, uh, but also those uh, those those hearty lentils, beans that you know can be cooked that are cost effective, but also good source of protein. Now, if we were to just think about specific nutrients from all of that, C is for choline. Choline is from eggs, but you also get it from beans and lentils. The other C is for vitamin C, extremely important in several biochemical reactions. So get, by the way, some some of the best sources of vitamin C about kiwi fruit and red bell peppers, not just citrus fruit. Um, another one is extra dark natural chocolate because it's one of the best sources of plant-based iron. And it turns out that a lot of women and children are deficient in iron. And, in, and when deficient in iron, this often drives anxiety. So just making sure that your iron levels are okay uh, is important. You can actually get that from chocolate. And here's the kicker. The vitamin C from a piece of orange or clementine um, actually helps the absorption. So that's a good pairing right there. And the, the last C that I include is chickpeas because it's a great, a great source of tryptophan for your body. The A is for antioxidants and ashwagandha. And the reason I want to bring ashwagandha to people's attention, Jason, is because it has a good amount of evidence for calming the mind. And it's actually a decent choice for people to actually embrace and, and try. It, it doesn't taste good. Trust me, I tasted it as a child. Uh, but it's, it's fine as a supplement and, and think about it that way. And the other A is for anthocyanins. Think about the beautiful color blueberries. Well, it's the anthocyanins that you know give it that hue, but then this is also a great nutrient for, for your brain and for calming. The L, believe it or not, is for liquids uh, because people who are not drinking enough water can be dehydrated, but also appear more anxious. I've even seen a panic be precipitated by being severely dehydrated. So just making sure that you're sipping on water throughout the day, um, that, you know, other, other great teas to try, are, you know, green tea, a passion flower tea, you know, um, uh, sort of expand your repertoire of teas. And that's what I've done in the book, offered people a few more options, but make sure you have enough liquids. And M is for more omega-3s. We know that wild-caught salmon, those fatty fish, the uh, your chia seeds and flax seeds are really important for our brain and body, but they're really important for our gut, and they're super helpful for, for calming. And then S is for spices. So it's an easy breakdown of things you can just try to remember to, to always have in your cart, or as many as you remember to to place in your cart to get you started on that anti-anxiety shopping trip. So the title of the book is Calm Your Mind with Food. And you're an expert in this super exciting field of nutritional psychiatry, the gut-brain connection, the food-mood connection. If we zoom back out, you know, what I think is so exciting is we weren't talking about this a decade or so ago, and we've got a mental health crisis. A lot of people struggle with anxiety. Uh, in your view, how much of our issues here can be solved or at least helped with nutrition? And nutrition is the one pillar, lifestyle pillar, that can help any chronic disease, including mental health conditions. And it is the one thing that we're all ignoring. Um, I say that very broadly because it's not really part of our medical system or integrated in the way it should or could be. Um, but nutrition is a massive driver in terms of helping to prevent or improve disease. So people, children who were, for example, um, shown to be malnourished when a study was done and they were fed a healthy whole foods diet, 
there was an improvement in their um, memory, their attention, um, and all of their brain development started to improve because we know that we have neuroplasticity. Uh, that gives us hope that, say, we're not eating a great diet. Can we pivot and start to eat healthier foods as part of that diet? It doesn't have to be perfect. The other piece is that there's a growing level of evidence behind different conditions in mental health that can be helped with food. Um, and some people will say, oh, well, it's just if you're eating healthy, you're going to feel good. I think that's true to only up to a certain point because there are now greater nuances in the research. We are understanding that there are microbes in the gut, certain certain um, certain species that actually help anxiety. Some of them interact with GABA receptors. Some of them interact with serotonin and dopamine. So there's a lot more science coming forward. And you're absolutely right, Jason. It wasn't there 10 years ago. This is newer, newer stuff. So there's a lot more hope that nutrition can help with our mental well-being. And I think that people just need to try um, to 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 try to even change one habit at a time that can move them along a continuum towards a healthy diet. The gut is their second brain. It is our second brain. It really is. It has the second largest collection of neurons outside of the brain, and it is very effective in doing a lot of things, uh, taking care of many functions: vitamin production, hormone production. Sleep and circadian rhythm, you know, circadian rhythm being our internal body clock. Immunity, 70% of our immune system is in the gut. Um, mental health, fighting infections, all of this stuff. So it's a hub of activity. And part of it, you know, is we need to take care of that gut. Uh, you know, if, if, if someone uh, comes over to stay in your home, you know, you wouldn't just kind of leave them wandering around on their own and not give them a place to sleep or, or feed or, or give them a glass of water or a meal. If you if they come to visit you and they're a guest, you will take care of them. Well, the microbes are really part of our body, and we need to be taking care of them. And one of the way that we we can do that is through how we eat, giving them the biodiversity of plants, giving them all these nutrients and fiber that they really need to thrive. And you know, I, I'll never forget when I first met Dr. Frank Lipman, who's my personal doctor. He had a philosophy. Uh, around treating patients. And it was, you know, if you don't know, if you can't figure out what's wrong, treat the gut. And that stuck with me. And as I think about nutritional psychiatry, and look, there, there's been a, there's a lot of trauma, uh, big T and little t. Uh, there's a lot of anxiety, and some of it can be dramatically improved through therapy, through medication. Uh, but sometimes none of the above works. Exercise and other lots of modalities, exercise, meditation, mindfulness, a lot of lifestyle modifications. Uh, sometimes those work, sometimes they don't. But the most powerful one often is nutrition, food. Figure out what's going on in the microbiome. Yes, exactly. And so, you know, I think that these are these are the things that that we very often, you know, Dr. Lipman is is one of those uh, real uh, sort of foundational doctors who's been using nutrition as a pillar for quite some time. So I think that we we need to spread that message. You know, more of us need to be doing it. And certainly in the educational programming that I've I've started to create over the last several years, I've been trying to do that so that we have more um, healthcare practitioners trained. Um, in this area, I think it's just it's just you know all important. So I think there's consensus among the health forward camp that consuming too much sugar is probably not good. I think I think there's consensus there, and 
you see a lot of people experimenting with CGMs, the continuing glucose monitors, and there's there's a lot of insights there. And in your view, what role does blood sugar balance play in our mood, in our brain health, in our mental health? It's actually much more significant as I've looked deep into the research, seen this clinically, um, and seen it, you know, especially especially in my practice. It turns out that one of the things in Calm Your Mind with food that I really started to put together is metabolism and anxiety. So blood sugar is actually extremely important in terms of not just uh, developing type 2 diabetes. It's actually also important for our mental health because there are areas of the brain that are hotbeds for anxiety, like the amygdala and the hippocampus, but these are also regions of the brain that deal with metabolism. So if your metabolism is impaired or out of whack, and many Americans are metabolically unfit, research has shown that, it, it tips the anxiety. And we know from COVID that following COVID, that study was published in Lancet showing that anxiety is increased by 25%. And it seems to echo what a lot of us are feeling and seeing just in our peers, our friends, our family, and, and in the world. So one of the reasons that blood glucose is so critically important is because by managing it in a better way, by the choice of carbohydrates that you eat, by the choice of where you get your sugar from. Berries are very different from, you know, teaspoons of sugar in coffee or beverage or soda. That becomes critically important. And that balance becomes becomes key as part of more of a whole foods diet. I'm not advocating for a complete embracement of the carnivore diet. I, I do think it works for some people, but is this why carnivore works so well for those you know, struggling with anxiety and autoimmune? Because you're completely eliminating sugar, basically, if you're carnivore diet. You know, my view on my, my view on the different diets, whether it be carnivore or plant-based, is that they work differently for different people. And that is really because the gut microbiome is unique. I think that an element of why the carnivore diet works for those individuals is they may be super sensitive to sugar. And by eliminating it from all refined sources, because they have to be getting sugar from some source, um, but by you know removing all the refined sugars, they're definitely probably helping to heal maybe inflammation in their body, um, help heal their gut and improve, but they then thrive in that. I, I just feel, Jason, that exclusion of an entire food group is, is tough for me to believe because I don't think it's sustainable and I've seen it not be sustainable. So you know, good luck to the folks who are doing well with that. But I'd much rather my patients say, look at that plate and say, look, I'm going to cut way back. You remember how the, uh, you know, the food pyramid used to be? So we're not going to you know, fill our plate with rice and pasta. We're actually going to have a small side of that, but really fill it with the vegetables, healthy fats, and the protein. And I think just those types of interventions have worked for my patients, like a clean keto diet have worked for a short period of time, and then they start to incorporate more whole foods and not be as, uh, you know, we do therapeutic carbohydrate reduction and they can start to eat more carbs again, but they don't necessarily go back to a full pasta dinner. Their bodies have adjusted and they eat small portions of whole grains, but they feel more metabolically flexible by that point. And I think that's that's an important differentiator uh, between the different diets too. Agreed. I think it's a great reset for some people, but not a sustainable lifestyle. Exactly. 
Although many people are living that way, but I don't think for my patients that it's been sustainable. So you mentioned iron deficiency is something to look out for. For those who do lab work, which I'm assuming is probably a lot of our listeners, what should they look out for in terms of deficiencies or maybe over-indexing in, in the wrong way as a clue that, you know, maybe I'm not optimizing my diet for my for my mental health? What else should they look for in those labs? So they should definitely check, have an iron panel done by their doctors because different doctors will look at it differently, but it's usually iron fit and TIBC um, and the doctors can interpret that for them. Um, but they might be feeling weak, tired, uh, just almost a sense of malaise, not having the energy that they're used to. And they may actually be developing or have developed iron deficiency anemia. Like I said, it's very common. So I'm always a test, don't guess kind of person because we want to make sure we're replenishing the right nutrient. So if you've got that panel, you can also ask your doctor to check your metabolites, um, your electrolytes, and also check things like um, vitamin D, right? Because in the far northeast, a lot of people uh, may be vitamin D deficient. So get a panel, have them checked, and then you work with your doctor. Because if it's not too low, you might be able to start with consuming food. But if you're vegetarian, you have to maybe supplement uh, that because you may not get enough um, heme iron from red meat and other forms of meat, but you can get it from some plants. So that's a good way to, to start. And you remember, you can just always be tweaking your diet in, in the right direction anyway. But what the blood test will tell you is, do you need to also supplement? Or if you're going to try diet, is your doctor going to be comfortable checking your level in a few months and saying, we don't need to have you supplement. And also it will be based on the symptoms you have. Why do you think so many people are suffering from iron deficiency? I think it's, personally, I think it's the food system. So with, with women of childbearing age, it's, it's multiple uh, things, including menstruation and other things. It also, I think, where I'll, I'll tell you what made me feel concerned that it was diet and nutrition is that it's so high in children. And, you know, um, it's, it, it, it's, it, it's always harder. Many, many kids do eat nutritiously, but it's, it, it's harder to get kids to eat just fully nutritious whole foods. And they're so used to snacks and juice boxes in school and things like that. So it, to me, I do feel like it's the food system and, and how we are almost nutritionally deficient. And, and that's why a lot of foods are fortified, but then they fortify the cereals. And that just, you know, just doesn't quite kind of make sense to me. So why is that so bad? Is it because it's so ultra processed or is it the fortification or like the, the enrichment of the flour? Is it all of the above? How, how do you think about it? Sure. So, so the way I think about it is that uh, you know, the reason we fortify foods is they're not, these things are not in our nutrition. Why aren't they in our nutrition? They actually should and could be because for the most part, of course, there's hunger in America and, and their food deserts and all of that. But for the most part, people have access to whole foods. My issue with, with fortifying cereals is that cereal isn't really a real food. And it's, it's a highly processed, extruded, if you've ever seen the way cereals are made, extruded, changed into the shape, and often the labeling is very tricky on cereals because things like whole grain may have a very tiny percent of actual grain in them. So my feeling about fortifying those things is that it just it's just a marketing gimmick uh, to you know help us eat eat 
nutritiously, but actually it's not good nutrition. So that's my issue with that. But, you know, when, when people fortify, you know, nut milks and uh, things like that, that's actually where, where we can get some extra nutrition. I'm, I'm totally okay with that because, you know, none of us eats a perfect diet. So we may, in fact, have these deficiencies here or there. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So you mentioned nut milks and there are some super clean nut milks like Malk, my, my favorite brand. And then there are some that are not so clean. And they have seed oils, and a lot of people don't like seed oils these days. To watch for that, yeah, that's a big, big issue. Yeah, what's your take on seed oils and and how they relate to our gut brain connection? So here's the deal with seed oils: they are ultra processed. I think that you know, from what the data has told us, they are largely pro-inflammatory for the body. But that doesn't mean, for example, in culinary school, we'd use a tiny bit of hazelnut or walnut oil to finish a salad. And it's a really delicious flavor. If you have a teaspoon or, or a little bit to, to as part of a dish, it's very different from that being your main source of fat and, and cooking um, your cooking fat for everything that you do. Right. So I think that the I'm much more concerned about the processed vegetable oils, the processed soybean oils, the the vegetable oils that are labeled vegetable. And you think, oh, this is from a vegetable, but actually largely um, soy, and then the processed uh, uh, processed corn oils as well. So I would just say, you know, have them have less of them. Make your primary fats for cooking be. Um, avocado oil, extra virgin olive oil for your salad dressings. I like I like ghee. Uh, you know, I culturally I grew up um, eating ghee. I use a little bit of my food. I love a little bit of butter, a little bit of coconut oil. So I mix it up, but I don't use a massive amount of any one of them. So you mentioned coconut oil, and I, I think coconut oil is a little bit controversial around how it relates to cardiovascular health. There's coconut oil, there's coconut milk, there's coconut water, there's coconuts. They, they're, they're, all, they're all different. There's coconuts, everything. Yeah, coconut water, as long as it's pure coconut water, I don't think people are concerned with regards to cardiovascular health, but I do hear people it's go back and forth on coconut oil and, and sometimes coconut milk. What's your take on coconut oil and coconut milk? So. Um, a lot of cardiologists, well, many cardiologists that I speak to don't really think, don't really buy into the revised thinking around saturated fats. And a very major study was completed at the beginning of 2020 that really helped to, me to revisit and rethink my position on this as well. Um, but I will tell you that cardiologists I speak to don't necessarily agree. And so they don't necessarily support uh, coconut oil. They don't necessarily think we could eat a clean piece of beef more often or use butter when we cook. Um, and I think it's a difference of opinion. I think there's a lot of good science there to show that a little bit of some of these products is okay. And the reason I talk about moderation, Jason, it's it's because most people eat these things. So I'd rather they understand you can eat it, but just don't have it every day for every single meal. Um, 
but it's not completely unhealthy. Uh, that doesn't mean that the medical uh, professionals all agree on it because they don't. Many cardiologists will say, stay away from these. And what you, you, the study you reference, it seems like the, the, the tide is turning in that, say, five years ago, many cardiologists would say, avoid saturated fats like coconut oil. But it seems like more moving toward this philosophy that, you know what, it's maybe not the sat fat that's contributing to CBD in the form of coconut oil. And so that is interesting and I think we're all paying attention to. The article was one of the, one of the most cited in that journal, JACC, in 2020. So I do think more people should look at it. And I actually mentioned it in my book. Um, I And I feel like m many of the doctors that I speak to really are not on board with this. I want to be very transparent about that. But there are also a group of individuals who, you know, who who believe it and stand by it. And 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 I, I think it's it's fair that there's some disagreement over it. And why am I segue to, to, to cardiovascular disease, CBD, is because people will often say what's good for the heart is good for the brain and vice versa. Mm -hmm. This is true. But I think that, you know, we have to add in a few more things. Firstly, we need to understand that despite COVID and everything else that's happened, the number one killer of Americans is cardiovascular disease. So it's important to tweak our diets in, in you know, work with, work with the right professional to help you do that because each of our diets is unique. We all eat different, different foods. But we also, I think, have to extend that, that what's good for the gut is good for the brain because we know about the gut-brain connection and include the heart in that. You know, I think that the more times, you know, we live in a country that has highly specialized medicine. And on the one hand, it's great to have access to that type of medical care. But the truth is it ends up being very siloed. So, you know, the, the gut, brain, and heart are all in the same body, and they all really are connected. And I think the more times we make those linkages, the, the better that we are going to be able to handle our overall health. Yes. And so w with regards to our overall health, a lot of people have tools in their toolkit when they're, you know, maybe stressed or struggling with anxiety. And, and often those tools look like something like, all right, I need to do yoga or I need to meditate or do a little breath work or go for a walk. And so within that toolkit, if someone's like in the moment and they say, all right, I need to take care of myself here, what can they incorporate with regards to diet? Is it, you know, I need to go for a sardines break or I need to hydrate? Like, how do you think about food? What should be part of that toolkit when someone's struggling? I, I like that. Uh, sometimes when people feel that anxious, they can't eat. But I often try to encourage them to drink something. And drinking water, drinking a green tea, drinking a calming passion flower tea can be very helpful for a little bit of a reset um, in the body and, and in the mind. But in terms of foods, although those foods don't act immediately, by, by really packing in the nutrients that feed the brain. Maybe it's a sardine snack. Maybe it's some nuts and seeds. Maybe it's extra dark natural chocolate and a piece of clementine. I think if you're going to go for foods that are going to actually nourish your brain, try out those types of snacks versus, you know, the vending machine or the candy bar or the very special coffee drink with a ton of added creams and a ton of sugar. Sometimes a, a small size of those, you know, can have up to 57 grams of sugar. So, so beware of those coffee drinks because you can actually check it out on the apps. You know, beware of those because those are just loading, you know, we, we know about sugar, so I'm not going to go through that, but we know that that's driving it the wrong direction. 
So your snacks on hand should be you know, a piece of fresh fruit, uh, even a piece of hard cheese, nuts, seeds, a bit of dark chocolate, maybe a little, uh, there's some really great sardine snacks now that they keep. They have little pouches of little different types of seafood that are really sustainable and that you can eat on the go if you're traveling and things like that. These are good options for people. I love my wild sardines. Yeah. They're just so nutrient dense, 20 grams of protein. Uh, my, my wife, Colleen, doesn't like them. My kids look at me like I'm strange. Uh, but I, not for everybody, but they, they work for me. You know, you mentioned fruits and we've talked about blood sugar and, you know, look, there are some fruits that spike blood sugar. Bananas, for example, if you're wearing a CGM and you have a banana, it's probably going to spike. How, how do you think about fruits and fructose? And how, how would you rank the best fruits? And I, I hate to say the worst fruits because I don't believe in demonizing fruits. Like I have, I have bananas. I like bananas. But how do you think about that? Yeah, exactly. So let's just start with the fact that you like bananas, right? You also are pretty fit, uh, Jason, and I'm guessing don't have or have improved your metabolic health over time. So the way that your body resp responds to banana, even if it does does spike, it's going to be a little bit different because your body through exercise and other means is going to be able to metabolize that. And even if you have that spike, your body will recover from it. That's very different from someone who's having weight issues or is struggling with metabolic uh, issues. The bananas can respond differently in their body. And so they would may need to be a little bit more careful. My favorite fruit are berries of different colors uh, because of where they are in terms of the, they are providing sugar, but they're natural source. But my guidance around fruit is eat, eat a couple of servings of fruit a day um, I like berries and I like things like clementines or apples. Uh, for me, those are those are great snacks. But, you know, by all means, enjoy different types of fruit. Um, just have them in moderation and making, sh making sure that you do have them. But if you're worried about your blood sugar, go for the berries, go for clementine, go for an apple. Um, you know, you can even have half an apple as your snack and have the other half the next day. You can do lots of things with it. Remember that a piece of actual fruit is very different from juicing a fruit and putting it in a smoothie. Because the, if you have eating a quarter cup of blueberries, it'll take you maybe five minutes. You know, you're chewing you're paying attention, you're swallowing it, and it's it's full of the fiber and the nutrients. But when you take the same amount of blueberries and you juice them in your smoothie, it hits your bloodstream much faster. It hits your bloodstream in seconds. So the impact is different. Um, so my suggestion around that is don't it doesn't mean you never put you know berries in your smoothie. Just don't do it every single day. Try to eat them whole and once in a while, you know. Um, add them into your smoothie, but mostly you're going to get the fiber and the nutrients much better if you just eat them. Interesting. And so how do we incorporate all of this into our life if we're health forward without quickly going down the orthorexia rabbit hole, you know, which I see a lot of people go through and it's, and sometimes it's, it's, it happens slowly and sometimes it happens fast and it's unfortunate. It is unfortunate. And one of the things I have to always be mindful of in just in nutritional psychiatry in general is that people have to at least have a basic healthy relationship with food in order to use these principles. Because if they have orthorexia and they are fixated on a certain healthy habit, they it's very hard to actually help them 
um, adjust to a more wholesome food diet that is still healthy. And it can be quite problematic. So some of the things to avoid that are, like you just said a few minutes ago, not demonizing food, not demonizing a certain food group. You may not, you may not like bananas. Maybe you don't like to eat um, a certain type of grain. Maybe you prefer not to eat bread or you don't like fish, whatever it is. Create the more personalized plan for what works for you and do it in small increments because this is a marathon and not a sprint. It's very, I did create an anti-anxiety shopping list and it's really a list that you can check off what you want to buy, but it gives you in one place things that are going to help calm your mind. It's not intended to overwhelm you that you think, oh my God, these are so many ingredients, what am I going to do? It comes with a protocol and then it comes with recipes. So it walks you through, let me just take one day at a time. Let me just get the ingredients for this day and try them out this week. You can do it in a very flexible way. I think that where people get into trouble or go down a rabbit hole that's not healthy is they get fixated on they have to do a certain thing and they get very um, almost judgmental of themselves and very regretful if they say took their kids to birthday party and someone offered them a piece of cake or a cupcake. Um, they get very regretful if they're running through an airport late at night and the only thing open was a fast food place and they hadn't eaten. You know, these things happen. It's it's life and I think what we need to do is just correct at the next meal and not live in judgment of ourselves because that's another thing that just pushes us in all sorts of emotional directions and then the psychology around our eating gets warped and we kind of are thrown off track. Yes. And I think specifically to the Health Forward Bunch, if, if you go on Instagram, there seems to be a herd mentality sometimes where... You know, there's there's one food or superfood or or supplement or mineral, and then all of a sudden everyone's talking about it. Next thing you know, maybe we're consuming way too much of it. In your view, is there something you're seeing on social media where everyone in the health forward bunch seems to be on board with it and consuming a ton of it? And you're like, eh, I don't know about that. Maybe maybe they're overdoing it. Maybe you probably shouldn't have you know three gallons of oat milk a day or or whatever it, it might. Well, I, I don't know. I, right now, I have to say, I don't know if I've noticed any particular trend. Because what I do notice, Jason, is a lot of um, sort of divisive behavior on, on social media where it's, you know, you should only eat this food group and you shouldn't eat that. And a lot of, which doesn't appeal to me, you know, demonizing a certain food group. And I think that's when people get confused. So I haven't seen a specific health trend. I know, um, I'll tell you a funny one, though. I was asked to come in for a newspaper about hydration. I jumped on it. I was like, great, I can I can tell people how when you're dehydrated, you feel anxious because, you know, all of us are feeling anxious. No, the, the, the article was about um, TikTokers who were encouraging each other to drink water. So they were getting 40 ounce, not a bad thing, 40 ounce um, containers and filling up with water. But what were they doing to drink the water? They were adding Skittles powder and other candy. I'm serious. I did not know Skittles powder existed. But apparently there are these little powders you can add to water. And so I was asked to comment on the, you know, on the, on the story. And what I guess it taught me is that you just never know what, you know, what's going to take off and, and, and how that can be so misguided, right? Because the water is fine. Um, you know, have a, a one or two Skittles from a bag on, a, on occasion, you know, that happens. Liquid diabetes. But exactly, but powder it and put it in your, 
<laughs> you wanted to drink it. Uh, you know, so it's all of this this type of stuff that does get truly misguided. And um, and then there are also the experts who, in their very strong opinions, sometimes can be very dogmatic and I think very confusing to people. So on the subject of hydration, there are lots of different opinions on how much water is enough. And then then you see many experts say, well, it's not about how much water, it's about electrolytes and you need electrolytes, you need potassium, you need your sodium. Uh, so focus on that and not the quantity of water. What's your take on hydration? So I think electrolytes are good uh, in moderation. I think that if you're someone who's exercising, is out, you know, living in a climate that's very hot, where you're perspiring more, you may be exposed to the sun, in swimming a lot, doing outdoor sport, electrolytes may be more important just to keep that balance. But any one of us could do well with a little bit of electrolytes. But here's where I'm cautious about it. I don't like to say just put in a packet of electrolytes in your water every day because these are actually, uh, they they are very serious, the electrolytes are serious uh, components of your body. You know, they deal with, an abnormal electrolyte panel can lead to arrhythmias. So I don't want people to just say, sure, I'm just going to put all of that in my water and that's what I'm going to drink. Electrolytes are definitely important. I would rather you hydrate well with plain water, maybe flavor with berries and citrus fruit. And if you feeling that you know you are sweating a lot, you may be exercising, you may be preparing for a marathon, those electrolytes could be super important to you. Do you have a recommended baseline in terms of one's body weight for for hydration like like half half your weight yeah i've heard i've heard that and i think it works for a lot of people six to eight glasses um you know a certain number of of mils or ounces per person mostly what i ask people to do is get uh, approximately 16 ounce in the United States, it's a 15 ounce water bottle that's sustainable and just keep refilling it at least four times. That gives you at least um, 64 ounces. No, I'm, I'm not doing that, but yeah. So, you know, just in other words, just fill it a few times so that you are, you are hydrated uh, throughout the day. And this is another thing where people can overhydrate, right? So you just, you just want to give some guidance around that. That's why I usually say 16 ounce bottle because a lot of water comes in that kind of size. Um, people tend to know that in the U S and then, you know, refill it a few times. I, I'll do around, it, it, I'm glad you mentioned how active you are and weather because something I found very hot affects me, but also well, I don't experience this anymore because I live in Miami, but very cold. If you're, if you're in very cold weather, that's also dehydrating. And most people aren't aware of that. That's ab absolutely correct. In cold, uh, hypothermia is a whole other uh, uh, thing. And so keeping hydrated, uh, making sure that we're not, you know, in extremely cold, you know, uh, I spent a very large part of my life in Boston. When it's that cold, you actually have to make sure you're not losing heat from you know, your head, your face and things like that. It, it it's, can be very extreme. So let's pretend you could wave your magic wand and get funding for any study you could dream of. And so time, resources, doesn't matter. What study would you do? What I'm most interested in studying is the development, ongoing development of psychobiotics. So really using food to improve mental well-being. And if there was a way to, uh, you know, there is ongoing research, but I would love to to really dive deeper into that 
and find ways that we can hone in on being a, a little bit more prescriptive about the concepts in mental health. So, you know, if you have this condition, you know, we know some things like, for example, the types of different bacteria that are involved in um, certain targets of anxiety. We know that lactobacillus rhamnosus targets anxiety through GABA. We know that uh, lactobacillus rutiride diminishes anxiety-like behaviors. Uh, we know that lactobacillus helveticus reduces cortisol levels while exhibiting anti-anxiety effects. So I would love to specifically for me in anxiety and mood disorders, which I see the most of, really dive deep into how can we use food, you know, to to really become these um, interventions in a way. Could you repeat those strains? Could you repeat those strains again? Because I want to make sure we get them in the show notes. I'm sure people are writing them down as, as they listen. Sure. The first one is lactobacillus rhamnosus, which targets anxiety through GABA receptors. Um, then I think I mentioned lactobacillus ruteri, which diminishes anxiety-like behaviors. Um, there are like seven or eight, but I'll mention these three. Then there's lactobacillus um, helveticus, which reduces cortisol levels, um, therefore helping with anti-anxiety effects. And for those three specifically, are they found in any foods? So the, the study that this was done in actually looked at fermented dairy products and pickled foods that were rich in uh, certain, certain of these probiotics. Um, and it was a study published in Frontiers of Nutrition. So I think the way to think about it is if you're looking for supplement, try to make sure maybe you're looking for those or try, you know, try to Fermented foods just form such a great basis for improvement of our gut health, and they have live active cultures in them. So choosing a few fermented foods and eating them regularly and noticing how you feel might be important. But that's that's exactly why I want to do this kind of research. So I love it. So essentially like a grass-fed, grass-fed yogurt or a grass-fed uh, kefir uh, or sauerkraut. A sauerkraut or you know some type of yeah your favorite your favorite pickled foods um something at least start there because we you know we we know the microbes that have these effects and we want to see where they are a lot of time people get a supplement but you know i i just want them to try food first always got to go food first food is medicine start there and then you'll probably end up supplementing anyway but start with food and see how far you can go we covered a lot of ground today other than pick up the book which i encourage everyone to do i'll hold it up for those watching on, on youtube um what else uh would you like to leave our audience with in terms of words of wisdom or or is there anything else we, we did not cover that you'd like to cover. I wanted to mention that I spent a lot of time testing the recipes that I added to include anxiety-busting ingredients, but I also took the Mediterranean diet and I added in Asian flavors um, so that you could tap into vegetables from other regions and spices from other regions to kind of expand our palate and make make it more delicious. And the re recipes are flexible for whether you add chicken or you add tofu or whatever it is that you eat. Um, and I, I feel like the message I want to leave people with is we're at such a juncture in time with so much going on. Please just remember that you do have the power at the end of your fork to feel better and to help calm your mind. There is a way forward. And I think that, you know, if you're interested, pick up my newsletter at umanidumd.com. Um, look at the book, 
I've tried the protocol. I'd love to hear what people think about it. it. It's really meant to be a guide that you can walk through on your own. That's practical. Maybe you're waiting to see a therapist. Maybe you haven't decided to see uh, a, a mental health professional, but you want to try to feel better on your own. It's really intended to fill that niche gap of helping people um, because we know from research that 70% of individuals never see a mental health professional. Wow. Uma, thank you so much for your incredible work. Congrats on the book and always a pleasure. Thanks so much, Jason. Always great to talk to you. I appreciate it.